we got a bit of a change of pace starting this week. One of, I think one of, the, one of the knacks to life, to getting life right, is to get the big picture and the little picture talking to each other. Do you know what I mean? Getting the big picture and the little picture talking to each other. From, from, the, time that I was in, from the time that I was in primary school until she retired, my mum worked at a supermarket. Um, and one of the big events in the calendar year for a supermarket is stock take. If you don't know, stock take is where you stop and take stock of where things are at in the supermarket, right? It's, it's the, the computer system says we have six watermelons, and we find out whether or not we really have six watermelons. That's, that's what stock take is all about. We're going to do some stock taking this morning. We're going to stop, and we're going to look at the big picture of life um, and make sure that the big picture of life is talking to the details of our day-to-day -day living. See, as, as what, what we've been doing as a church for the last however long, um, We've been making our way through the book of Romans, which I hope you've been finding time well spent. I know that I have. It's been very, very life-giving, very formative. Um, I was speaking with a, another pastor friend of mine just this week who has recently retired and told him what we've been doing, and he shared our enthusiasm. He said something to the effect of, it's just something that you have to do in a ministry. It's, just, it's, just, it's a bucket list sort of thing that just needs to be ticked off before you retire. You have to preach through Romans at least, at least once. Um, maybe we'll do it again in a couple of years and go for it twice. <laughs> Um, last, last week, Mike brought our time in Romans chapter 8 to a close in such a, such a powerful way. Wasn't it so helpful? Um, the, the content of Romans is of central importance to our faith. It's huge. And yet, as I'm sure you've noticed, it's also pretty heavy. It's, it's, it requires quite a lot of us to engage with this deep, deep book. That's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. Um, but there's kind of a, a fatigue that sets in over time. And so we've, we've got a bit of a plan. What we're going to do um, is we're going to take this as an opportunity, having finished Romans 8, to put the book of Romans down for a time um, while we recharge the batteries. Have a bit of a breather, spiritually speaking. Um, we're going to come back to it with fresh eyes and fresh energy on the other side of Easter. Uh, and so this is what our um, time together in the Word is going to look like for the next few weeks. Um, for the next two weeks, we're going to turn our attention to some very practical parts of our faith. Helpfully so, I hope. Um, and that's going to be followed by our Easter series, which is going to be five sermons, including the two on the week of Easter itself. Um, looking at some biblical pictures that help us understand just what it is that Jesus has done for us on the cross. That's encouragement fuel. Um, and that means that for the next two weeks, we're going to get practical, we're going to get wise, and we're going to look at what it means for us to serve Jesus as saved people. This week, we'll be asking the question, how do I please God with my life? How do I please God with my life? And next week, we'll ask the question, how do I do the same thing with my stuff? Um, and that'll be follow, followed by, um, by the time focusing on the cross for Easter. Now, we're doing this for the, the simplest of reasons. That, that the trick to life is getting the big picture and the small picture to, to talk to each other. And that when it comes to living a life that pleases God, sometimes it's worth just sort of stopping and taking stock and going, have I got the, have I got the big rocks in, in place? Have I got the foundations um, steady and stable and whole from which the rest of my life is lived? Um, do I, I need to stop looking at the, the trees and see the forest every, every now and again. And so by stepping back and thinking about this big picture of God, uh, of, of life as God has designed it to be, um, we can make sure that we get the most important things as the most important things. So to do that this week, why don't you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, where we're going to get some very practical encouragements. Here's the deal. I'm going to try and go short this week. Last week was huge. Romans 8, members meeting, it was big. Let's, let's see if I can keep it under half an hour because like the Lord, Matt takes away, but Matt gives, right? That's, is that <laughs> accidental blasphemy, perhaps? Lucy, is this how you feel in class? 
giving out early marks with the, because I'm in the wrong career. That was, that was good. <laughs> Ephesians 5, verse 8. For at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Here's the setup. Here's here's the, the context that we need in our minds. Coming to Christ as Savior, becoming a Christian, changes how we live. This, 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 this relationship is necessary. Um, to be even more specific, coming to Christ as Savior changes what we live for. The entire purpose of our life goes from being one thing to being another. Christians live for God. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for him. Our whole life is now for our Lord. Uh, the Apostle Paul said it this way, to live is Christ. One and the same thing. Serving the Lord is now the purpose of our lives. We live to, to please him, to serve him with gladness, as a wonderful sign that just got painted over yesterday said. It's okay, we, we've got the letters coming to, to put it back on. <laughs> See, we, we, we have a funny relationship with, with pleasing God, don't we, as Christians? There is a sense where, and it's very important that you, that you hear me say this, there is a sense where, if you are a Christian, I assure you, you are pleasing to God. Okay, automatically. Christians are objectively pleasing to God. God is pleased with you. That's the good news of the gospel. Once you have placed your faith in Christ as Savior, God now views us through the lens of Christ and his cross. That is, the, that is the interpretive method by which God looks at your life. God has declared us to be righteous on the basis of Christ's finished work, and he is now satisfied. You are as pleasing to him as Christ is, automatically. We do not need to labor in the hopes that we might go from being displeasing to God to pleasing to God. That's, that's not the place that pleasing God has in our life. And yet, there is another subjective sense, a secondary sense, where... Having been reconciled to God in this way, we now aim to please him with our day-to-day choices. Our salvation is not attached to this, but our our heavenly reward is. Um, We love our Lord and we want to honor him in all the parts of our life. Did you know that when we gathered in worship today and sung his praises, he was pleased It is better that we did that this morning than that we did not do that this morning. It was a holy thing that you just did. Something which is pleasing to God, not just through, um, sorry, through through Christ, but but, but more than that, as an act of of joyful obedience. Um, We love our Lord. He is our treasure. We love him more than we love all other things. And so now we make it our aim to please him. To live in such a way as to bring him honor and glory. 
to participate with him as co-workers in the building of his kingdom, to live as Christ. That is a fundamentally different purpose to the life that you were living before you met Jesus. Do you remember that time, Christians? Can you remember the time before you met Christ and what your life was lived for? Because the answer wasn't Christ. It couldn't have been. It was necessarily something else. Maybe you lived for yourself and your own pleasure and goals. Maybe you lived for your family. Maybe you lived for your career. Maybe you lived for a lifestyle that you found pleasing. Perhaps you lived your life for another false god. But now we have met Jesus. We have been reconciled to our Father through him, and we have a new purpose. We no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live out of fear. We live for God. What happens is our our, our passage today raises a further complication for us, which is worthy of our consideration. And it's this. Living for Jesus does not happen by accident. Now that we are Christians, there are two very practical encouragements that this passage tells us about that I want to draw your attention to. These are the ones I want you to remember by the end of today. The first is this. Because we've gone from light to dark, we are to discern what is pleasing to God. That's the, thing that, that's the first one that won't happen automatically. We have to discern what is pleasing to God. And secondly, because the days are evil, we are to make the best use of our time. Make the best use of our time. Another one that's not going to happen automatically. Discerning what is pleasing, making the best use of our days. Neither of these things happens by default. They both require effort. The second one makes it clear why. The times that we live in are evil. We live in a fallen world. And so if you live your life on autopilot, doing what everyone else does, you will not accidentally end up living the sort of life that Jesus has called you into. Um, Living like that means that you will follow the path of least resistance. And in this world, the path of least resistance leads away from a life pleasing to God. That's always true. Uh, We've never lived in any other kind of world But also, one of the reasons I think it's particularly helpful for us to stop and consider this today is because we are living in particularly challenging times, at least as far as our generation goes. Where looking at the big picture of life can feel like it's a bit too much effort. Maybe as recently as three years ago, you felt like you were doing pretty well with getting this balance right, with getting the forest before the trees. You'd figured out how to prioritize God and the details of your life, but then it all went down. Things got a little hectic. And for some of us, the last two years of life has been about responding to the immediate demands of life rather than living on purpose to pursue our highest goals. Your calendar has has filled itself in. Your home has been closed off to the world. In so many other ways, there has been a temptation to, to take our eyes off the big picture of life. And so perhaps this next two weeks will be a helpful reset. That's what it's intended to be, a helpful reset as we stop and we consider how it is that we as Christians keep the central things in life central. Are you ready to get practical? Why don't we look at these two a little bit more closely? Practical call on Christians, number one. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We see this in verses 8 through 10. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Here's what's being said to us. Because we are coming out from the darkness, actually, it's it's said more categorically than isn't it? Because we were darkness. Darkness itself. But we have been brought out of darkness and we now are light. Um, Because we've been brought out of a life which is defined by the same darkness which defines this fallen world and we've been brought into the light of those who walk with God, the light of God himself, we now have the job of discerning what is pleasing to God. The unbelieving world that we live in does not want to please God. That that, that is what the unbelieving world is by definition. It, It is in unbelief. It is in rebellion against its own creator. And so once we come to belong to God through Jesus, it takes an effort for us to root up all the assumptions about life that we have made that are out of step with God's view of life. Um, This is true to a surprising degree. I'm convinced more than ever that more than we realize, our beliefs about life are the product of the time and the place into which we were born, rather than being built on the Word of God. Um, The darkness disciples us constantly And its values are easily reinforced in our lives. We are constantly preached to by a fallen world. For example, our current culture is self-obsessed. Self-obsessed. We have turned self-worship into a social good. It's a thing that you can talk about openly without shame or embarrassment, and you'll be applauded by the majority of people. You do you. Mm -hmm probably just offended like a million people. (laughs) How many television shows do we watch that reinforce that view? You are the thing that matters most. It's in magazines. It's in shop windows. It's in the conversations that you have at work and with your family members and with those around us when you talk with your neighbors. It's in the cultural norms and the way in which life is lived. It's in our spending patterns and holiday patterns and planning all reinforcing that the point of life is to live for yourself. How deep does that stain run? How freely available is the tainting influence of that corruption? Part of our growing in maturity must be, as Christians, to put off the old self and to put on the new self, made new in the image of Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross on our behalf. If the God of heaven is so selfless, who are we to be self-centered? Part of our growing maturity must be to try and discern what is pleasing to God. I think the best place where we see this, just, just how much we are formed by our culture rather than by the word of God, is when we begin to encounter the writings of Christians from other times and other places. Have you, have you had this experience yet? Do you, like, I love reading old, old dead guys. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that I really enjoy. Um, when we encounter them, their worldview, sometimes it shows up assumptions we've made about life in stark contrast. 
Here's, here's just one, one very practical example. Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest. Almost no one today thinks that having a proper Sabbath is a part of a healthy Christian life. It is almost entirely neglected or even outright, outright criticized as a view. Not so in a previous age. Um, not, you, don't have to go that, you don't even have to go that far backwards to encounter it. Do you remember when Sunday trading wasn't a thing? Right? Um, all the shops were closed on Sunday. Why? Because it's Sunday. You don't work on Sunday. That's how we all learnt to drive a car. Going to the empty car park on a Sunday afternoon and using it as a fake road to get around on. And there would be 16 cars filled with learners, all trying to dodge each other with their frightened parents in the passenger seat. Um, I was reminded of this just a few years ago when I travelled to Germany, and it turns out they still have this, complete with all of the, um, the tradition and the quietness and the inconvenience of not being able to go to the shops one day out of seven. Did you, did you know that the reason why the shops were closed on a Sunday was for the deeply embedded belief in Christian churches from the past that the Sabbath was a Christian duty? It was an essential part of a life lived for God. A view which was so widespread that it became embedded in the weekly calendar of the whole of society and its businesses. It was for explicitly Christian reasons that football on a Sunday was controversial. Um, so much so, uh, this, is, this is how far they went with it in the past. I watched a documentary recently about um, an early Australian explorer named Edmund Kennedy, who was tasked with finding a route to Cape York. It all went belly up and most of them died, as so often happened with those early explorers. But one of the surprising details of his expedition, and three of them survived, was that even though they had largely run out of food and water several months into this expedition, Kennedy was still insisting that each Sunday they stop traveling for a day of worship and prayer. Now, as, as you may have figured out, I am one who is convinced that they were onto something, even if we might modify some of the details of their belief. For example, they rejected recreation as being a thing that was appropriate to do on the Sabbath. I don't know where they got that one from. Jesus himself told us that the Sabbath was was made for us, not the other way around. That should figure into our understanding of what a Sabbath is. And also, Jesus makes it very clear that in a life or death situation, you are quite free to look after yourself and do good. Right? They were not compelled by the Lord to stop when they were starving. But also, it's worth our paying attention to the idea that sometimes they got things right that we miss almost entirely. It's true in so many ways. If we come to the idea of something as simple and practical as Sabbath rest through a biblical lens rather than a cultural lens, I think you'll be shocked at what you discover, at how clearly the Lord speaks to us on this issue. It's true in so many other ways. Brothers and sisters, we need to be reshaped by the Word of God to view the world the way that God views it. Our attitudes towards marriage and family must be defined by God's word and not this broken world's attitudes towards marriage and family and hallelujah, we have a rescue. Um, our attitudes towards work and vocation, our beliefs about our role as missionaries in this world, um, our view of church membership and church governance must be built from the word of God and not cultural norms, lest we build a church of consumers and customers. Um, our attitudes towards things, wealth 
or about the role of Christians in society. All of these things need to be rebuilt so that we might walk as children of the light that we have been brought into and not live in the fallen paradigms of an unbelieving world. How are we going to get there? Because there's only one thing that we can do that will help us. Just one. Which is to think long and deeply about God through his word. To think long and deeply about God through his word. To meditate on the word. There is simply no substitute for this in your life. God has given us, we've been told, how's this for a promise? God has given us everything that we need which pertains to life and to godliness in his word. Everything which we need which pertains to life and to godliness in his word. Without the spirit, we would never do a single one of them. But with the spirit, we still need to learn. The the world that we live in is saturating our minds and our hearts with its many messages. And we need adequate time to marinate on God's view of life in all of its joyful wisdom, to build our hope on wisdom from above. That's why I'm excited for us to reflect on this simple, simple call. You see, at the present moment, there is for us a temptation for our lives to live themselves, to live on autopilot, to let the needs of the day give shape to each day Brothers and sisters, it will never be natural or easy or convenient for us to stop and to meditate on God's word. And yet we have everything to gain if we do. It's always true that the days are evil, that this world has fallen. And yet it is particularly true in the last two years. Let's make this year one where we make sure that we set apart adequate time each week and each day to interact with our God deeply and to ask him all of our deep questions about life. Health check number one. Are you trying to discern what is pleasing to God through understanding his word and building your life on that sure foundation? Practical help number two. We are called to... Make the best use of our time. Make the best use of our time. That sentence is enough to bring conviction to some of us, right? (laughs) Let me read it from verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Okay, we have a very practical warning, a very helpful warning. The times we live in are evil. It's not singling us out particularly. Do you understand? It's not saying the year 2022 is evil. This is true of all time between the fall and when we get to heaven. And it's true for every generation of Christians that the unwise will live according to the pattern of this falling world. And in doing so, will not make the best use of their time. They will make use of their time. They will not make the best use of their time. Brothers and sisters, did you know that our time here on this earth is finite? This is is one that, that the world seems to have forgotten in its lack of reflection. You are a perishable quantity. We're not going to be here 
forever. You don't get your time here on this earth again, and what you have lived for will be clearly seen at the end. What you have lived for will be clearly seen at the end. One simple metric is this. What did you spend your time on? Did you spend it wisely? That's a helpful word, isn't it? Did I spend it wisely? Look, our phones now have a thing that tells you how long you spend on the screen looking at what apps. And skipping over the kind of disconcerting fact that that means they have access to that data and are using it to manipulate us. What does the screen timer of your life say that you are living for? It is possible to use your time to please God. Isn't that awesome? It is possible to make the best use of my time and live a life which pleases God. And what is more, he promises his very great rewards to those of us who do. Are you serving the Lord with gladness? Or are you neglecting to do so for lesser reasons? Look, I don't know about you, um, but I pride myself on the ability to pack a car boot. It's one of my favorite things about me that I'm able to do this. Uh, we used to have a little yellow gets, actually. Do we have the, the pictures hanging around? Um, which we took all over the country with us. When, when Elise and I first got married, this was our car. That's it, pulling, pulling a B-double um, out, out in Alice Springs. We took this thing every year. We drove that thing from Brisbane to Alice Springs when we moved there, um, stacked up to the roof so that the suspension was collapsing at the back and it was basically sitting on the axles. We drove from, from Brisbane to Alice Springs, 3,000 kilometers of driving. Um, that's, that's us getting out on three wheels for a good sort of two inches of gutter because it's not really an off-road car. I love that thing. A well-packed boot is one of the greatest pleasures in life. Marriage, the birth of your children, packing that bad boy out to the sea, right? There's a simple trick, if you don't know, to the uninitiated to making sure that you get everything important into the back end of your vehicle. You know it, don't you? It's this. You put the big stuff in first. You put the big stuff in first. You make sure that you get the most important, most um, sizable, most rigid things in. You put them in first, and then you know where you can squeeze the small things in around the big things. If you go the other way around, dog's breakfast. You do not want that. That is, that is how you create, that is how you get to Caloundra to find out that you've left the towels behind. Right? This is a good analogy of what it means to make the best use of our time in life with God. In life, there, are only, there is only so much time and there is only resources for so many things. By focusing your energy and your efforts on the one thing, you will automatically miss out on another. If I watch this movie, I cannot simultaneously watch that movie, unless you're that guy. If, if, if I eat this for breakfast, I'm probably not eating this for breakfast. It's a simple truth. If I focus my time and my energy and my resources on one thing, I automatically miss out on something else. And so we must ask ourselves the question, am I living for God with my time? Am I spending my life on eternal things first? and squeezing in temporary things, second? Or am I living my life for secondary things and trying to fit the eternal around it? Does God get the first share of me? Or does he get the leftovers? Am I walking as wise or unwise?
Because, once again, the last two years have been habit-forming, have they not? During lockdowns, life became largely self-sufficient, self-centred and automatic, for many of us at least. Church became a TV show that I watch on Sunday mornings, perhaps Sunday afternoons, perhaps not at all. We noticed the numbers going down. Leaving the house was only done to purchase food and to exercise. Do you remember that? And then, since then, with the threat of ever-changing variants and complications and scary things in the world, we were all advised to keep a low profile as much as possible. So all those things matter, of course. And yet what also matters is that we have just spent two years of our finite 80-something living in a box, not living for a higher purpose, in large part. We don't get that time again. How much more of our lives are we willing to live like that? To some degree, the situation, to a large degree, the situation in the world around us was not our fault. It was not something that we did, but it was something that was discipling us into a pattern about what life is for, what life is about. And what's more heading forwards from here, there will be a temptation for many to continue to live in that way. But now is time for us to stop and to evaluate and to look at the forest and not just the trees. The days are evil. We want to make the best use of our time. Brothers and sisters, there is more to life than mere survival. That is not the purpose of our existence. Existing day to day is not why God has put us here and now. God has made you useful in his kingdom. And that means now. We get to ask ourselves the practical question, in light of what Christ has done for us, are we now living with the right priorities for our time? The best way to answer that question is to get point one in place. <laughs> am I trying to discern what is pleasing to God? Then I'll be able to answer the question, am I making the best use of my time? So how about this? How about you find some time this week, this afternoon, to stop, to find an extended period of time where you can come before the Lord with your Bible open and ask the question, am I serving you with my time? Am I serving you with my life? Or is that fallen into the background of what I plan and hope for? Two of the simplest practical tools, Christians. Having come from darkness to light, try to discern what is pleasing to God. And because the days are evil, make the best use of the time you have. If we can get these two things in place, surely the rest of life will fall into its appropriate shape. That is a kind of life which is worth living. Let's pray.
but it feels very true today that the way in which we deal with the question of eternity is to ignore it and distract ourselves with nice things. Uncomfortable thoughts to think that one day I will no longer be here. It's a helpful thing for us to remember, we know, Lord, because it gives us perspective. Father, we pray that the saving work of Jesus would have its full effect in us here and now, and that you would rescue us from foolishness and short-sightedness and worldliness and set us apart to be with you and be like you. Father, we confess freely that as our creator, you know what the best version of life is. You know the number of my days because you numbered them. And you know what they are best used for. Thank you that because the grace of Christ has come to us, that is not a threat or a condemnation, Lord, but an invitation filled with grace. That because we are reconciled people, we are useful people. We can live lives that are pleasing to you. So Lord, we pray, take my life and let it be consecrated. Make us wise. Make us discerning. Set us free. Lead us, Spirit, through your word to build our lives on the rock of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand and respond in worship.